Welcome to Math Matters. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Math Matters brings together innovators, practitioners, researchers, and math enthusiasts to explore the power of math and the stories that illuminate Math Matters across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. We're spending time today with Conrad Wolfram of Wolfram Alpha. His latest book, The Math or Math's Fix, an education blueprint for the AI age. Conrad, we, we chatted off air. We've talked uh, a number of times over the last decade. I can't believe it's been that long, but um, always been somebody that, that I and I know the industry follows in, in your work, in your uh, perceptions of what the market is doing and maybe where we should be looking if, if we're not maybe paying attention. Let's start with this. Let's talk about the business of math. What is the state of math if we think about it as a business? Uh, yeah, it's great, great to be talking to you again, Rod. Um, well, there's the business of math education, and there's the business of math everywhere else. And actually, the word math is used less and less to represent what I would call computation in the real world. Uh, we see it actually not as the word representing all of the ways in which we're in fact using what I would call mathematical thinking or math, you know, to power AI, um, to use it for data science, all of these I consider as being math, the mainstream subject that we need to be educating our citizens for. But as you say, in education, the business of math is very much about this subject that's been quite similar for the last 50 or 100 years as a mainstream subject, and is mostly about the business of calculating by hand. It's very discrepant from what we increasingly need outside. So it's a, it's a very big business. And it's mostly about getting people to pass assessments in order that they get admitted to the next stage, which is often college, or as a sort of measure metric for them to go afterwards into, into their work. Uh, I think there's a much grander role for math in education, a transformation we desperately need and that is actually quite disempowering at the moment uh, while it's not occurred. You know, Conrad, it seems to be a great irony, but you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that to your point, this we set students up, they spend this entire period of their lives learning math in this one way, right? And looking for a final result. And that historically has been what we've cared about as adults. What is that final result on the paper, the grade? You know, what was the solution to that problem that stated problem, yet it seems like when they grow to be uh, adults and hopefully functional and productive adults, it's about the process. It's about the journey and the understanding of the process that gets you to the final result that will help you longer term in your career uh, than just knowing in essence the answer, right? It, it feels like this should be common sense, but it doesn't feel like it's baked into the education where math is center stage. Yeah, I mean, in my view, this, the people very rarely talk about the subject of math in education. They talk, they talk a lot about how to teach it better, the, the pedagogical process by which people learn it. What I'm really worried about is the it. <laughs> and the problem we've got is, in the outside world, why is computation math so important to everyone? Why, why is this such a, you know, major issue for governments around the world for industry why does everyone want more you know data scientists math people because we can make better decisions with this fantastic process of mathematical or computational thinking than we can without it 
and we, you know, we build all our technologies. Everything is dependent on us increasingly at, at many levels, by the way. I mean, as citizens, just to survive in a reasonable way in a modern economy, you need much more math than you did 30 years ago. Um, but at the top end, of course, we want more of our top performers, of our data scientists, the things that really are driving our economies forward. And in the middle, by the way, I should say the sort of subsistence level, which is you know, just to be a competent you know, a manager in a, in a even a less technical company, you need quite a lot of data science, understanding, computational thinking. So what we've got there is this subject that isn't just about the calculating, isn't just about knowing how to you know, do a quadratic equation. In fact, it's got virtually nothing to do with that. It's not, as you say, just about, you know, is the answer three? It's about, you know, what's the relation? Is this, a, you know, is this causally related to something else or is it just correlated? You know, is my team telling me uh, a decision based on data science they've done? Do, do I follow what they've said? Do, can I pick holes in that argument, even if I'm not the specialist data scientist? Um, in the same way as, as a typical manager would query decisions being taken by uh, people they work with. It's the same thing, but it's a much more computational form of that thinking that comes up every day in the decision-making process. In education, for some reason, we've got ourselves into this uh, track where it's all depending on the calculating step of maths or computation. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you think of maths as a, as a process, it's basically a four-step problem-solving process. You define a question uh, and you try and make it precise. Then you sort of abstract it to this language of math. And the point of that is you can take many, many different questions and they turn into this same very precise definition from which you can then compute an answer precisely using hundreds of years of logic that have been carefully worked out to produce precise answers. And that third step is this magical computation. Take the question to the answer in an abstract form. And then the fourth step is you say, well, okay, I got the answer, you know, X equals three. Uh, does that answer my original question that I started with? What's the interpretation of that? Do I have to run a whole bunch of other calculations to try different cases and so forth? You know, does it mean anything? Have, have I missed some crucial things? So actually, the answer should have been 16. And it's just completely wrong. So those steps one, two, and four are what we are critically lacking in education, which would drive both the numerical kinds of answers and also these bigger picture answers. We're spending huge amounts of effort on step three by hand, which is the one step our machines can so fantastically do. And, and, the, and the hint is in the name. You know, they're called computers. What they do is computing, and they do it a lot better than humans these days. But what we need is actually a much higher level of understanding for these other steps to give humans the edge in the AI age. We want humans in charge, not computers, but we want to work with computers and manage them to produce the best results, the best decisions. Have we lost our way? I mean, if you and I are floating above this delicate planet and looking over the last hundred years, to your point, about where logic fil you know, fits into this equation that you laid out and the understandings of how we uh, utilize math in our, in our lives, it feels like there is, and maybe this is culturally based, I don't know if this is, so I'm coming from the US here in the UK, but that logic, the process of development, 
why is it that we feel the need as humans to say, okay, we finished that, we can close the door, and we don't need to utilize that in today's day and age to understand, to give ourselves an edge, to level the playing field. Yeah. Do, do you get where I'm coming from? It feels yeah. like we spend all that time developing these processes, having conversations, battling it out, trying to understand sort of where math and numbers sit in relation to ourselves and our lives. And yet, okay, we've accomplished something. We can go to the moon. We have SpaceX. And so, well, why would we want to understand that same process that got us here? Well, I think it's also a question about enfranchisement of different groups. So I think the position at the moment is a little bit like before mass literacy, like beginning of the 19th century, but it's mass computational literacy we're talking about this time around. So my view of this is a little bit like, you know, at some period then, you know, there were a very small fraction of the population who could read and write. They were mostly sort of high priests and aristocrats certainly in the European context. And you were sort of dependent as the rest of the population on them telling you what to think at some level, because you couldn't check it yourself. You had no means by which you could yourself go into the information. Uh, and that had lots of problems. I mean, obviously, there were very well-intended people who were the high priests and aristocrats, but they were also not very well-intended people. There was no way to sort of check across this. I think we're in a quite similar position in some ways now. We have the, the sort of high data priests and aristocrats, so to speak, people who are very advanced in these areas. And we have obviously some of our top uh, companies around the world uh, and organizations who've really done very well with this. And then we've got everybody else. And I think what we're seeing is a disenfranchisement of a lot of society because they have no means by which to engage in this properly. And that I think is down to these failures I discuss in our mass computational subject, which is maths uh, at the moment. What we need to generate is a new era of computa mass computational literacy, very much paralyzing, you know, parallel with the mass literacy that started in the sort of early to mid 19th century. And by the way, the countries that started early with that, like Britain, did very well out of it. People thought early on there that, you know, this was sort of crazy. I mean, it was crazy in the sense that, you know, most population didn't need to learn to read and write. They were probably too stupid anyway to be able to manage it. You know, it wasn't going to take... In fact, it's been one of the most empowering... Uh, ideas, if you like, of certainly of education, you know, that there's ever been. And it's been tremendously successful at moving our societies to the next step. So I think the key problem we've got here is that, um, you know, it's hard to move to another level. It's just hard to move people to a new level of doing things differently. And we're in an era where we've got a, you know, what some people describe the fourth industrial revolution, I tend to call the AI age. And we need people to step up to the next level to really make use of that in the same way as they did with mass literacy. So we need mass computational literacy. We need to achieve that. Uh, and I think it's just quite hard to do. Uh, and I think that's the main reason we're not really seeing people shift this. And if you think in education, in school education in particular, you know, there are an awful lot of moving parts to get aligned. 
you know, in a traditional school, you've got assessments which tie everyone to the same subject. And in maths, they are the pinnacle of numericalizing people's achievements. So, you know, you start messing with maths assessments and people, lots of people that there are to complain. You know, there are parents who want to see them one way. There are the teachers who want them, uh, you know, uh, some way, schools, you know, universities and everything. But that is what needs to happen. We need to shift what we're testing, how we're assessing people in order to shift this subject so that we can move people to an enfranchised, a computationally enfranchised era. And they can really, in a sense, get into themselves, get, get into their bones, how they move to this next level. And then I think we're going to have huge progress in, in the jurisdictions that do this first. I would like to take the time to thank those that have helped bring this conversation together. Magma Math, the future of math is here. Magma Math, the first and only digital math tool that combines handwritten solution technology standards, aligned curriculum, and comprehensive data analysis. And now, back to our guest. relationship. If we're going to achieve what you just laid out, it feels like we need to have a better understanding on the relationship an educator has with a given student and then by relation to class, meaning if we want to break free from, you know, you're my, you're my teacher, at the, you know, you're the sage on the stage and you're submitting a problem for me to solve. And if the only interaction we have is me turning that in, whether it's on a computer or it's a piece of paper, and that is the exchange in the relationship is the handover of my, what I have sort of come up as an answer. It feels like that gap is incredibly powerful and impactful in driving engagement, understanding where if I'm a young person and I do well in math as a subject, that I can apply that in career pursuits. But how do we support educators to level the playing field, going back to that um, parallel with AI in a manner that they are participating in 2021 and beyond in a way that matches what you're talking about in computational literacy, so that because it feels like there are economic implications if we don't have a better grasp of how maths can be applied in uh -oh, our massive. daily lives. I mean, <laughs> economic enfranchisement, mental health, the whole lot of them. I mean, we're currently forcing the world's population to do this subject of math in schools, which is increasingly disconnected from the outside world. And we're then basically telling them they're failures if they don't manage it. And yet it's largely discrepant from what they typically need in the outside world. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a massive problem. I think I calculated at some point, uh, it's something like 200 lifetimes a, a day we're spending around the world on learning this subject that's probably 80% discrepant from what it ought to be. That's a lot of, that's a lot of a human investment. Um, so, you know, we got to get this right. Now, to your point about supporting the uh the educators uh and how do we do it? i mean look it this is this is hard you know we're telling teachers effectively we want you to do a whole new subject uh and you know we want you to have confidence in delivering that and we want you to deliver it in a modern way that really helps with these rather different and more open-ended problems than we've traditionally had i think there's several ways to do this F firstly we need to define the subject properly and that's what we at computer-based math have been working on for the last decade. You know, if you assume computers exist, a reasonable assumption, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, what does a math or computational curriculum look like? 
What would you do if you were building it from scratch? Let's build that out in a way that is deliverable by a teacher. So let's actually build the real problem sets, the real modules that they could literally teach off to start with, because that builds their confidence. If they're very experienced and advanced, that's great. They can go do something slightly different. But let's actually give them the real tools which they can use for that. And let's give them some training to help them understand this sort of new world. And by the way, I don't think it's just math teachers. I think there are other teachers, like from other STEM subjects, for example, who could probably teach this subject in a way that they find more difficult to teach traditional math. Um, so that's one part of it. I mean, I think this word confidence is absolutely critical. And I think it's actually a problem at the moment. You know, we've got teachers who sometimes aren't all that confident in traditional math. And by the way, they're not at all confident in why they're teaching it. I mean, it's like, why are you learning quadratic equations? And if you dig down, the answer is I'm not quite sure. So that's, that's actually a problem for the confidence always around. But that confidence then is like an echo chamber backwards and forwards with the student. And by the way, with the parents who often didn't like math very much themselves, not quite sure why they're learning it either. So we've got to help fix that. And I think the way to fix that is to have a good list of outcomes. Again, we've gone around the world looking for outcomes that you really want from this 10 years of core computational subject. It's not easy to find a good list. So we've made our own list. Uh, and it's sort of 11 dimensional list, which I think is a very, you know, things like confidence to tackle new problems, instinctive feel of math. I mean, things that are zoomed out a bit from the detail, but which are critical in this new era. Um, and I think that, you know, the idea that teachers should be having to try and generate their own problems to teach with. I mean, I know how difficult this is. The teachers don't know how math is used in the outside world. That's not been their job. That's not anything negative about teachers. It's just that's not what they do. People, people like us at Wolfram, we've spent nearly a third of a century trying to understand how math is used in the real world, building technology like Mathematica and Wolfram Alpha specifically to do that. And we have, you know, huge experience of millions of people's use of mathematics. So yes, we have some idea what the subject is and how it, how it actually gets used. You can't expect a teacher to know that, or even a professor, because they don't have the, the plurality of, of experience that we have. So we're the sorts of people who can help. And that's one of the reasons I got so involved in trying to work out how to deliver this subject. Let's look, people know of, of Wolfram Alpha and obviously Siri in their lives, right? Powering the knowledge answers for Siri, which has just become, it's just, it, it's a, a pleasure, I think, uh, of, of those uh, around the world. It's a, you know, it's, it's an, it's an incredible nice to have. Is there a, this sounds, is there a dark side to, to the power of Siri and the way and the role that it has in our lives? Because we talk about young children and building up frustration tolerance. If there's ever a subject that can help, help with that, it's math. I have a first grader who we work through, you know, her, just the beginnings of, of laying the foundation and her frustration, frustration, frustration tolerance, excuse me, is quite low. Like she, it, she struggles. My son, he, he, his phrase is, you know, he wants to feed the beast. He just, maybe he's the next Conrad. I don't know, but I just wonder if there is something with the way humans interact with oh, yeah. developments in our lives. I mean, we, we go with developing tools and understanding the role fire plays. And you start to advance that to now I can ask my, my computer, my phone, a question, and it answers me back. 
And yeah. how does that impact my frustration in tackling things when I can watch a commercial and Alexa, and it just does Siri, it for me. It just does it for me. Right. So we need to go up to the next level. So I, I'm absolutely not suggesting that we shouldn't have students struggle with difficult problems. What I'm saying is, uh, let's not have them struggle with problems that are artificial in the sense that they're neither problems that are just for the joy of doing them. By the way, I'm all for people doing things for the joy of doing it. If they enjoy ancient Greek, they should do ancient Greek. The question is whether you force them to do that if it's not something they really enjoy. And I think the, the test for that is, you know, is it empowering to their future lives? Or, and also, is there something that could be more empowering? So if you take that test on what we're doing at the moment, uh, we're, we're forcing them through these problems that mostly they would never actually solve in real life. They get a computer to solve them. And we're not having them to do actually much harder conceptual problems that are fuzzier, bigger, more, more connected to their lives, uh, which would probably mean that they were more excited by them in most cases. You know, on average, most students, if they see a connection to their lives, will be more interested in the problem than if it seems totally abstract. There are a few students who love the totally abstract for its own sake, but those students usually self-select quite well, and I, I don't think that's the majority of people where there's an issue. Uh, so I think it's very important, and actually all of those come together. I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. If you think about it, the reason that computation maths have been so important to the development of the world in the last 50 plus years is because we now have very good mechanization for the calculating step, computers. That's why you can now apply maths to mass data science, biology, pandemic modeling, more or less successfully. We've still got some way to go with that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, computers have, in a sense, liberated mathematics from hand calculating, made the subject far more applicable. That's why we want more and more people who are engaged in it. That's why it's so critical to our economies. Right, so if you go back to education, we have decided that we're going to strip out the tool the critical tool that allowed us to use mathematics on all these uh, different contexts. If we do that by, by, by definition almost, or not exactly by definition, but you can deduce that you will strip out most of the context that is relevant today from the education. So we end up with toy problems, you know, problems about, you know, snooker balls, you know, which people wouldn't really calculate. We don't end up with problems about, you know, some of the problems we've got in our computer-based math set about, you know, uh, oh, I don't know, can I, how can I get my bike ridden faster around different routes, you know, complicated things with modeling. Um, you know, am I normal? Can math help me to figure that out? <laughs> All sorts of different things that are messy and apparently fuzzy. That's the modern world of applying mathematics. And you can only do it if it's computer-based because mathematics has only ever been applied in that case. So what we, it's really critical that we get that subject sort of correct because everything falls away if we don't do that. And we end up with disenfranchised students uh, who then get, I think, often very disconnected, not just in mathematics, but in actually much of education. Um, and by the way, just, you know, it isn't just necessary to do this at school level. I mean, I think 
we've got many, many adults in the workforce. And one of the things we've been doing recently is to work with a number of organizations for their workforce. I mean, you know, just because they didn't like math at school, it doesn't mean that they can't become computational thinkers very successfully uh, much later on. Do we, you know, your book talks about a blueprint. As part of that blueprint, do we need to, if, if math and the subject of math is a spouse in a traditional marriage, do we need to go to marriage therapy, counseling uh, on our relationship, our understanding? Because it feels like there's a messaging, right? If we, you know, in the US, we have the Got Milk campaign that was famous for years, right? Um, that reintroduced sort of milk in our lives. And it feels like we need more passionate voices like yourself to help us understand the power of it, the beauty of it. There's a rhythm to math, right? Um, there is, I think, a sexiness to it and what it brings to our lives, but it feels like we've kept it in the shadows. We've kept it, you know, in the closet. Do we need to, do we need to create a different understanding? Because you're talking about reintroducing it in the workforce for those that probably have experiences that are less than positive from when they were growing up in yeah, school. And we may need to rename it for that reason. I mean, the word math is itself highly contentious. And we know this. Our, our, we have, you know, first software we launched was Mathematica. And we still have trouble with people saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a biologist. Uh, you know, I don't need math. Uh, and then we show them some of the things they could do. And they're, they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I had no idea you could analyze strands of DNA, you know, this way, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we're saying, okay, well, that is sort of math, but let's not call it math, we'll call it computation. So there is a branding problem. Uh, and math marketing has has been quite poor in many ways. And, and as I've said many times to people, I would prefer to lose the name than to lose the subject. Um, I think that, you know, the, I suppose the issue is, in the end, uh, that we need to get, you know, it, it's, I don't really like starting from the beauty of the subject. I like starting from how can the subject be empowering? Because I think, you know, it's like when I was told, in fact, I bring this up in my book, I think um, my dad tried to interest me in literature and I just didn't care. <laughs> I just, you know, later on I've cared about fine writing and things and, you know, uh, fine authors, uh, possibly too late for my book writing, but uh, that's for others to judge. <laughs> but, um, you know, whereas music, for example, I naturally find music interesting. You know, I can listen to a Mozart piano sonata or something, and I, I enjoy that immediately. I didn't need to be pushed into that. So I think different people have different things they find beautiful, exciting in that sense. So I think what we want to start with, it's a subject where we think everybody needs to do it, which I do with mathematics or, or its successor. Um, I think we need to start from how can we excite people by it for what's relevant to their lives, some of those will then see a tremendous beauty in it. And I think actually we'll get a greater set seeing that beauty and getting interested in the subject in its own right than we would have done if we'd started from pushing sort of the abstract beauty down their throats originally. Um, so I'm all for people jumping off. I'm all for periodically trying to see whether the, the abstract, the theoretical is exciting to those people. I just don't want to start from that point of view. Uh, and I think that should be true of every mainstream subject, whether it's history or mathematics. And I think to many of the other subjects, it has started from that point of view, actually. It's just for some reason, mathematics has got stuck. And I actually think the reason is because it's so important. 
people think mathematics is such an important subject that you can't change anything. You can't change the assessments. You can't change, because so much hinges on it. If it were a side subject, I think they would think, uh, oh, well, yeah, we need to do this reform and that reform, and they'd be able to do it. Uh, and I think, therefore, it's complicated to know how to change this ecosystem. And we, we've got a fairly stuck eco ecosystem in education altogether, actually. And mathematics is sort of at the pinnacle of what's stuck in many ways. And, you know, we need to figure out what the linchpin of that ecosystem is and try and unlock from there. And I think there are many ways to do this. I think that universities and employers have a great, uh, in a sense, duty to really focus down on what they want and demand that of the school system that comes before. Because in the end, many people are striving for college admission or employment. And that's why they're taking these subjects. If those, uh, if those places decide they prefer a more modern subject, then we're going to get the more modern subject being delivered further, further. But, you know, of course, there are governments who need to be innovative states. We've been talking to a number of states about different things that can be done. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think the pressure is really mounting. And I think the first jurisdictions and organizations to do this will really benefit. Let's put a wrapper on, on this, Conrad. You and I seem to touch base every five years. We'll touch base in another five years. What will you hope to be able to share with me? And what will, what will engage disappointment from you if, if something has not been achieved within a five-year span? I'd hope we get the early adopters, innovators on the curve, so to speak, where you can see real delivery to a fairly reasonable size of cohort of what I'm talking about, of a computer-based mathematics or a computational thinking, whichever way you want to term it, that if not mainstream is becoming accepted as, as a sort of in an innovative way, as an alternative to, or an addition even to some of our traditional um, computational math training. And I will, you know, I want to see that really move forward. It's, it's a long road. I said this 10 years ago when I started this project, I said in my book, but it is critical. And I think the pressure is really mounting. It's become more critical. I think some of the disenfranchisements in our society that we've seen in democracies around the world, you can trace some of this back to uh, this lack of education. So I think what I would love to see at that point is a number of organizations, uh, you know, uh, um, companies and government organizations, for example, who have built in computational thinking training into their, uh, you know, into their training process to uptick what their employees uh, do and learn, and that that's a critical issue. You know, you don't employ a manager unless they have a computational literacy ability in the same way as you wouldn't employ a manager who isn't literate. Uh, and so I would like to see movement towards that, you know, and obviously at the school level, I would like to see some jurisdictions where we've, or, or sets of schools or areas where we've really made a very solid impact on students' lives over a number of years into this new subject where they can come out with this much better computational thinking understanding. Well, I always learn when we, when we, when we speak, Conrad, and if there is going to be a rebranding of a math, I do hope that you have the pen or the paintbrush to be able to do that for, for all of us. 
uh, that inhabit uh, planet Earth because it's to the good of all of us, you know. Like you said, it, it impacts every area of our lives. Uh, and I encourage people to check out Conrad's book, The Maths Fixed, an education blueprint for the AI age. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. <laughs>